0: Okay, my friends. Uh, let us begin. Uh, let me just introduce myself real quickly. Uh, my name is uh, Tim Kerr. I was um, I'm come from a, a Christian family. My dad is a pastor. My grandfather is a pastor. On on my dad's side of the family, there's Christian leaders going back seven generations. Uh, my mom was the first one that came to Christ out of Roman Catholicism at a Billy Graham Crusade many years ago. She's in heaven now. Um, was raised uh, ten years in India. My parents were uh, missionaries there. I got interesting stories. I'm, I'm the only person I know that can tell people I was raised on a leper colony that was infested with cobras. Um, and uh, we lots of interesting stories there. If you, I can tell you about it some other time. Um, and uh, I had a wonderful time uh, in India. I have nothing but positive memories of India. Uh, it, was, uh, it was the place that I sometimes, you know, when you dream about your childhood and you kind of got tears in your eyes when you wake up in the morning. It's always about India. That I've dreamed. Um, miss it. Um, came back to, to Canada. My dad pastored the church that sent him out uh, for many years. And it was during those years I came to Christ um, dramatically. <clears throat> and uh, eventually I went to a seminary, Bible school. Uh, I was the last guy that I thought I'd ever end up in seminary. Uh, but there I was. And uh, eventually uh, went as a church planter to Japan, where we were there for for 12 years, uh, for 12 wonderful years. Um, I came back and was involved in a mentoring ministry. Uh, this has kind of been what I've done all my life, but it was kind of full-time at that time. And I worked with about 100, 100 men over about five years. I would uh, mentored about 40 men at a time um, for two years, each of them, and um, eventually went from there back into church planting again in, in Canada, in Toronto area, and we started that church about 10 years ago. And uh, it's, been a, it's been a wonderful joy to be pastor of that church. Um, I've said to many people, these last 10 years have been the happiest 10 years of my life, uh, in church life. Uh, there's been struggles, there's been issues, but it's been just a, a, a joy. Um, so that's kind of our story. Uh, we're with a group called uh, Sovereign Grace Ministries, uh, which is uh, kind of an interesting mixture on the reform camp. We believe strongly in Reformed theology and the gospel, the centrality of the gospel. But we're also charismatic. Um, so we're kind of an interesting mix there um, and uh, when charismatics visit our church they think you guys aren't charismatic and when people come who are, are just reformed guys they get a little uncomfortable so we kind of, we kind of offend everybody um, but it's, it's, it's been a wonderful journey and trying to do things biblically trying to please the Lord that's it's all about just what do we find in our Bible and trying to follow it and I'll tell you we do it very very imperfectly on all sides um, but anyway um, it's a privilege to talk to you today about this very, very important topic. I know some of you are probably here just out of interest, a curiosity, and perhaps some of you are really have a genuine longing for, for this area in your life. Um, so I pray, regardless of your motivation, that this would be a real encouraging uh, session for you. So, so let me begin with prayer. Father, we just ask in, in Jesus' name that you will now help us in this very, very important area. Uh, give us understanding. Uh, I pray that anything that I say that's, that's um, opinion or my perception that is not helpful, I pray it would be like chaff, it would blow away, it would not stick. I pray whatever is truly from you would stick. Uh, so I just pray for a Teflon effect and also a Velcro effect. Uh, and, and Lord, I just pray that people would leave encouraged and full of faith and that you would uh, teach us to be people who are people of the Spirit, walking in the Spirit, living the Spirit-filled life. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Before I begin, does everybody have the handout? I think I did about 60 copies. Hopefully you all have it. Um, what I've done there is just there's, there's a whole mess of scriptures that we're going to be going through. And just rather than you flipping back and forth and trying to do PowerPoint and all that, I thought you could just follow along as I make comments in this. Um, What we're going to do is we're going to kind of look at it, uh, this whole area, from three categories. One is the theological foundations. Um, and, And you might be surprised to hear this, that this whole area about praying for the Holy Spirit is related to the, the humanity of Christ. It's, a, it's kind of a subset of the doctrine of the humanity of Christ and the incarnation. So we'll talk about the incarnation of Christ and, and how Jesus functioned as a man. Then we'll go from the theological foundation to a theological application that's right in scripture. Uh, how, how what happened in Christ's life uh, parallels and feeds into what happens in our life. And then we're going to actually spend some time, I hope, Uh, If I don't get too long-winded, we'll actually spend some time putting it into practice and spend some time praying about these things together at the end. Um, So that's kind of where we're going. The Holy Spirit is not someone we manage. He he is uh, actually a fearful being a comforting being, without a doubt, but a fearful being with immense power. He, it was the Holy Spirit who was, who was hovering over the waters in the formless void of uh, pre-creation days. Uh, he was, uh, the, he's the one that reveals God in a very wonderful and powerful way. He's the one that, that has revealed the gospel, and through the gospel we come to know him. Uh, he's, he's the one that regenerates people. No one comes to Christ without being born again by the Spirit Um, And and yet, though these wonderful things are said about the spirit, um, we are told in scripture to ask for his personal presence and power in our life. For example, uh, in my prayer earlier, I quoted this verse. It says, If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Uh, God is, 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 is inviting us to ask Him for the, the Holy Spirit. So the question is, uh, how do we do this? Uh, how does this work? And, maybe even more importantly, why doesn't it seem to be working for many believers? So, like I said, uh, we're going to start with lots of scripture... And I want you to just follow along. And, and, and this is, uh, years ago, I was meeting with the man who mentored me. He's 91 today. He was a, a pastor for over 70 years and just retired last year, believe it or not. I remember sitting in his, 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 his kitchen and him teaching me this stuff. This is, this is stuff that was passed on to me that I remember, it was just like a, a eureka moment for me. I had just been through seminary, I got B's and A's in my theology classes, I studied pneumatology and the doctrine of the spirit, but I'd never been taught this stuff. And it was right in my Bible in front of me, and it, was, it, was, it has, has followed me for years and years now. I've passed this on to many, many people over the years. I hope it will be a great encouragement to you. So, uh, the first little section there, John 7, 14 and 15, notice what it says here. It says, about the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began teaching. And the Jews therefore marveled, saying, how is it that this man has learning when he has never studied? Okay, you've got to remember that Jesus didn't have the educational opportunities of the Apostle Paul. Uh, he was taught uh, in the synagogue, but he did, when, when people heard him speak, and when, the, when, the, when the, the, the religious leaders heard him speak, they go, how does he know all that stuff? How did he get that stuff? Because you don't learn that in the synagogue. Now, how would you answer that question? Well, I'll tell you the way most people would answer that question. They would answer the question this way. They'd say, well, he was God. He knew it because he was God. But is that the answer? Well, no, it is not. Because the very next verse, Jesus answers. And he says, so Jesus answered them, My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. That's interesting. Uh, In other words, though he was the omniscient son, he voluntarily lived with human limitations as a man. Uh, The father revealed to him everything that he needed to know. And and as, as we look at various passages through this lens... Uh, being fully God and yet voluntary, living with, with limitations as it were with regard to his knowledge so, so people could say I, you know, when are the end times coming? He says, well nobody knows that but the Father. Well Jesus, you know that too, don't you? Um, there's verses like that that when you read them now through a different lens you, you, you start to understand how Jesus functioned and it is a mystery but it is really not only a mystery, it's actually amazing as you're going to find out as we go along. Uh, Remember the the baptism of Jesus. It says that when all the people were baptized, and and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came down from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. Now think about what was going on in Jesus' life. When he was 12 years old, he was blowing people out of the water with, with his answers at the temple. Remember that? So I've often thought, wow, imagine what he was like when he was 18. Nothing. Nothing recorded at all in the Bible. 20? 25? Nothing. These silent years of Jesus. We just know about his birth and that time at the temple. And then there's nothing when he's walking with the disciples, surely they were asking him questions about what it was like to be raised in Nazareth. Nothing is written in our Bible about those years. But when, he has the ba- when, the ba- when he's baptized, and the Spirit comes on him, it suddenly the narrative begins. Now suddenly the cameras start rolling. And what we find is that his very first assignment, when the Spirit comes on him at his baptism, is... Uh, uh, an assignment about self-denial, fasting, and also spiritual warfare, okay? Now, this is, a, this is a passage we're very familiar with, okay? And it says, And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days, and when they were ended, he was hungry. And the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. Now, if, you, if you've been a believer for any amount of years, you're, you're very familiar with that, that story about Christ. But here's the question for you to think about. Upon what resources did Jesus depend in order to overcome uh, Satan's temptations? Upon what resources did, did Jesus depend to overcome Satan's temptations. Well, again, what most believers will say is he used the Scriptures, and they would be right. He, he used the Scriptures, but that's only part of the answer. See, he used the Scriptures, but he also, it tells us twice, that he was filled with the Holy Spirit. He used the Scriptures and was filled with the Holy Spirit. You see, one of the, one of the things that I've often puzzled about is why is it that so many believers, we've heard... We've heard messages about the importance of using the word of God when we're in warfare, uh, when we're tempted. But why is it that so few believers use scriptures when they're tempted? Why is it that so, so uh, little of the time do we actually have any scriptures come to mind when we're tempted? Well, I, I think the answer is, in the second part of the answer, is that we are not filled with the Spirit uh, it isn't enough to have the Word and not be filled with the Spirit. In the Scriptures, uh, the, the Word is called the sword of the Spirit. You know, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, Ephesians 6 says, which is the Word of God. Um, in other words, if a person is not living a Spirit-filled life, the sword stays sheathed. It's in the It's, in the, it's there, but it's not accessible to them. It's not enough... To have the sword, you also have to ha- have to have the hand that can take the sword out of the sheath. Uh, do you remember the, uh, the Disney story, fable, The Sword and the Stone? I- I've often felt it was a good illustration of this. Um, for those of you who don't know the story, uh, it's the story of a-, a sword that's stuck in the s- stone, and it says, whoever can take the sword out of the stone is the true heir of England. And of course, you have all these big muscular bodybuilder types uh, straining to get the sword out of the stone, they can't budge it. And then one day, King Arthur, little scrawny, little kid that he is, is looking for a sword for his brother, who has forgotten it, finds a sword in the stone and just pulls it out and gives it to his, gives it to his brother. And they, they realize it's a sword in the stone. And, and they put it back in again. This, this, everybody tries again. Nobody can touch it. And then he is declared the, the rightful heir of England. Well, in a sense... That illustrates how it works with the Spirit and the Word of God. It, it is the Spirit that gives us, in a sense, the right to use the Word of God when we're being tempted. We must be filled with the Spirit, and and with, and then we can use the Word of God as God has intended it to be used in spiritual warfare and in temptation. Let me give you some other little snapshots of Jesus and the way he describes himself. How does, how does Jesus perceive himself? How does Jesus uh, describe himself as he starts to reveal who he is to people? Uh, I think a very telling portion of scripture is in Luke 4. Um, it says this, he comes to Nazareth, his hometown, where he'd been brought up. And as was his custom, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. And he enrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. Now, remember what what we know about Isaiah. Isaiah is is a book that has a lot about Christ. There's Isaiah 53. There's some amazing servant psalms in in Isaiah. A lot about Jesus. It's been called the Romans of the Old Testament. Well, he deliberately found a place in Isaiah that was going to be a description of himself. And then after he read it, it says that he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down, and the eyes of all the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. So he uses a text of scripture to say, I'm this. This is being fulfilled right now as you listen to me read it to you. So the question is, what did he read? Among all the various passages he could have chosen... In the book of Isaiah, which one does he choose for his unveiling? Well, he chooses to unveil a scripture that shows that he is the Christ. Remember that Jesus Christ is not his name. Jesus is his name. Christ is his title, like Queen Elizabeth. Queen is the title. Elizabeth is the name. That's why uh, Mel Gibson's uh, movie was called The Passion of the Christ, Christ is a title, and Christ means anointed one. That's why we talk about christening a child. It's, it's, it's anointing. And this is what he read that day, Luke 4, 18 and 19. "'The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed.' to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So the way Jesus chooses to reveal Himself through Scripture is, He says, I am the one that the Spirit is on. I'm the the anointed one. I'm the Christ. Now let me give you a few other little interesting Scriptures that give us, again, little snapshots about how Jesus operated and functioned as a man. Now this is remember we're we're getting an insight into the humanity of Christ, okay? Uh, see what 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 liberals tend to do is they tend to humanize Jesus's deity, they 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 make him an inspired man, you know he he had wonderful words but he wasn't true God. That's where the liberal camp goes to. Sometimes not always but sometimes the the evangelical camp can go on the other side, and we can uh, we can. Deify his humanity. We can we can make him less than fully man. He's uh, there. There's even early church heresies that had to do with that, where he wasn't truly he wasn't truly flesh and blood. He was flesh and blood, but kind of appeared that way more. He was more. He was God with just a, a little little faint hint of humanity around him. Is is that truly what the Bible says? Listen to what he said in Matthew twelve when he talks about how he was able to engage with demonic powers and cast them out of people. He says, But if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. How does he cast demons out? In dependence on the Holy Spirit. It's through the Holy Spirit's power that he does that. Okay, Jesus spoke those words. Here's another interesting verse. This is a verse, Acts 1-2. This is a verse, after he'd been raised from the dead, he now has a resurrected body. It's shortly before he ascends into heaven. And look what it says, remarkably. It says, until the day when he was taken up, after he had given, and given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He was still speaking Saying things to the apostles. How was, how was he teaching? What was he doing? He was doing like that verse that we said at the very beginning. He was getting his instructions from the Father. And it was through the power of the Holy Spirit that he was speaking. Uh, here's another verse. This was, I remember, Acts 10.38 was like the, the, the eureka moment for me. I remember when, we were, when I looked at this, it was like I, the heavens opened. And I saw something that I'd never seen before about the way Jesus functioned as a man. Acts 10:38, a kind of a concise statement of Jesus' life: how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil for God was with him. So This is what we've learned. Jesus functions as a spirit-filled man. He is the anointed one, the Christ. Okay, so let's try to now gather this together and and try to grasp what is happening here. The eternal Son of God enters our world and joins himself to creation. And and the, the creator joins himself to the creature. He doesn't stop being the creator. He doesn't uh, he, he fuses himself to the creation, so now the creator and the creature are fused into one. It's called the incarnation, incarnos into flesh, as it says in Colossians. For in Christ the fullness of God lives in a human body. What, what did this mean for Christ? Well, let me give you two. It meant many things. Let me give you two things that it meant. Number one, that when the Son When the eternal son of God became a man, he concealed his God glory. Uh, He looked like any other man. People weren't afraid of him when he walked by. Uh, When people encounter uh, God in the the, the Old Testament or the New Testament, they're, they're frightened out of their wits. But his skin did not radiate deity. Let me give you proof of this. On the way to his crucifixion, It says this, that that the soldiers kneeling before him, they, they mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And they spit on him and took the reed and struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the robe and put his own clothes on him and led him away to crucify him. They had no fear to actually strike Jesus on the face and spit on him and laugh at him. No fear. And yet... A couple days later, when they saw glory of a far diminished level, when they saw an angel, which is just another created being, but having glory, it says this about them. The angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. So when they encountered an an angelic visitor that was a a created being, they were terrified. But when they were in the presence of Christ, they were not terrified. They mocked. It tells us in Isaiah that he had no form or majesty that we should look at him. So, first thing is that that as he was walking through the earth, uh, he was full God in all His glory, but somehow that glory was concealed. Occasionally it shone through, didn't it? So when He turned the water to to wine, it says, He thus revealed His glory. It's like, some of the glory shone out. Or when He was on the Mount of Transfiguration, the glory shone out for a moment there on the Mount. There were moments of Jesus' life where the glory shone out, but for, by and large, His whole life Babies weren't afraid of him. Children weren't afraid of him because his glory was concealed. Amazing humility of our our Savior. That's number one. Number two, though, is that not only was his glory concealed most of the time, but he did not rely on his own intrinsic power of deity the vast majority of the time but lived instead in complete dependence on the Father through the Holy Spirit. So if I was to ask you, how was Jesus able to raise Lazarus from the dead? You have to be careful. Because if you say, well, he was able to do that because he was God, well, then how was Peter able to raise Dorcas in the book of Acts? No, they, they both saw a, a mighty demonstration of God's power by the, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus has many sayings like this through the Gospels. For example, he says, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. So Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man and then you will know that I am He, that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has Himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. So, Christ's humanity means more than this, okay? But Christ's humanity means that He concealed His intrinsic God-glory as He walked along the earth. And also, He lived predominantly not by His own intrinsic power, but by the power of the Holy Spirit. He, He genuinely lived as the Christ as He was on the earth. He was the Christ. He was the one that the Spirit was upon. Okay? Now, that's the theological foundation. Now, let's get to the theological application, the connection between that and our life. If you have your Bible or you can follow along, and actually follow along in the the handout because we'll be using other scriptures. Um, John 14, 12, a very interesting and significant verse. Truly, truly, amen and amen. I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Now, let's think about this for a moment. There's no doubt the Bible teaches us that there were certain things that Jesus did that are unrepeatable. There are certain things that, attest- that testified to the fact that he was the unique Messiah of God that will never be repeated again. Yeah. Some of the things he did, you know, when John the Baptist asked, you know, who are you? He says, well, tell them what I'm doing, you know. And yet, Jesus is the one that says these very words to us. That the one who believes in me will do the works that I do and greater works. It's bad enough that he says that we'll do the works he does. He says that we'll even do greater works. But he couldn't mean, then, greater in in, in majesty and glory. He must mean greater in extent. And actually, that's exactly what we find in the the New Testament. Uh, When Jesus had finished his ministry, there was 120 people in an upper room. And yet, Peter stands and preaches at Pentecost, and 3,000 people are converted. You you don't hear about anything like that in all of Jesus' ministry. Now, look again at John 14:12. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do and greater works than these will he do. In other words, whatever Jesus is saying, okay? This is my disclaimer. I don't exactly know what Jesus is saying here, okay? But I do know this. He's telling us something that, is, that, that I, can, I can live the life that he lived more than I believed is possible. I don't know how far. I don't know exactly. There's questions that I have. But I'm telling you, the the life of Christ and the power of Christ is more more real to believers than I've been willing to believe, that I've dared to believe. And I only dare to believe it because Jesus says it to me. And so he says this, Whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do because because I am going to the Father. So the question is, what, what connection is there between doing the works of Jesus, following in Jesus' footsteps, and Jesus going to the Father? Well, we find in the book of Acts these words. After Jesus was raised from the dead and ascended into heaven, it says, Peter says these words, "'This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses, "'being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, "'and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, "'He has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing.'" Christ ascends to the right hand of the Father, He goes to the Father, And what happens when he goes to the Father? The Father now gives to him the Holy Spirit that has been at work and operative in his life, his whole life on the earth. And Jesus gives the same Holy Spirit to the church. We are now Christians, anointed ones, Christ ones, ones belonging to Christ, ones belonging to the anointed life. We are now called to live anointed lives, Spirit-filled lives, just as Christ lived a Spirit-filled life. We are given the same Holy Spirit that enabled Christ. When, when, When the Spirit that lives in us, my friends, if you are a believer in Christ, the Spirit that lives in you is the same Spirit that lived in Christ. And so Jesus says, and I will ask the Father, and and he will give you another helper, not to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. The Spirit is not just a power. The Spirit is not a concept. The Spirit is a person, a very powerful person. So that's all very interesting. The problem is, it doesn't seem to be working in many people's lives. It's obviously not automatic. So what then is the hold-up? Can you identify from John 14, 12 to 14, do I have those verses John 14, 12 to 14 in front of you? I can't remember if I put that there. 12, and do you have 13 to 14 there as well? Okay. If you got your Bible, look at this. Because I want you to see it. Don't take it on faith. Uh, John 14, verses 12 to 14. There are really two conditions that are given in this passage for the promise that Jesus gives to us here. The first thing he says in verse 12 is, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. Well, that could mean if you're a believer in Christ, you're in. Okay? That's possible. But I think it's more likely that he's talking about believers exercising faith in response to revelation from God. Um, For example, it says in Matthew that he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. Well, Christ can do whatever he wants, can't he? Of course he can. But somehow, repeatedly in our Gospels, uh, it it says things like, uh, Jesus said, this this happened to you because of your faith. Well, it wasn't, the faith didn't make it happen. Jesus made it happen. But somehow, Jesus is tied, uh, in many cases... The exercise of his power in people's life to their faith in him. Let me give you another example of this, a story that you know well. The story where Jesus is out one day among the crowds, and they're pressing him from all sides. Do you remember that story? And an ill woman reaches out in expectant faith to him and touches the hem of his garment, and instantly she's healed. She's suffered things for many, many years, from many doctors... Nobody could heal her. Suddenly, Jesus heals her in an instant. It seems like, the way it's presented to us, it's almost like Jesus almost wasn't aware of it. Uh, He says, I felt power. Who touched me? I felt power go out from me. It seems like an incredible question, because everybody's pressing against him. Who touched you? Jesus, everybody's touching. Look, at there's hundreds of people around here. But what Jesus was asking was not who touched me physically. He says, somebody touched me with faith. And many people might have touched Jesus that day, but there was only one person that received healing that day. It was the one that touched him with faith. She was the one that experienced Jesus' transforming power. Faith in Christ, then, is not something that is worked up. It is rather a response to the Holy Spirit's revelation about who Christ is in his person and what he desires and intends to do. The rising of faith uh, through a greater revelation of Christ. As we see more of Christ and see more of his glory and grandeur, faith rises. Those who know your name put their trust in you, it says in Psalm 9.10. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. More of Christ, more faith. Okay? First condition is faith. Okay? Second condition. Listen, let me read these, these three verses in a row to you. Okay? Very interesting how Jesus speaks them. John fourteen twelve to 14. Truly, truly, I say to you, Whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Next verse. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Do you see the connection? There is a direct connection by Jesus between this wonderful promise of the Holy Spirit's ministry available to us and prayer connects it to prayer solidly to prayer Uh, one of the best illustrations of this is actually uh, I steal and borrow everything I'm not very a very unoriginal thinker and uh, I remember a a woman in our church gave me this illustration once and I thought it's the best illustration I can I can think of to describe this Uh, the handing love illustration Uh, let me imagine now that, that, that my hand represents the Holy Spirit, and this glove represents me, or you. Now, I could take my fist and put it in the glove, with the fingers closed. Now, the hand is in the glove, okay? The hand is in the glove, indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Can't do very much with it. Couldn't, couldn't write anything on a piece of paper, couldn't throw a snowball, couldn't drive my car safely. If I went out to shake your hand, you'd think I was a little weird, uh, not working very well, okay? I can do a few things, but not very much. I might be able to take one finger and stick it in one. Now now I can actually do a little bit, a little bit more. Well, my friends, it's not until the hand goes right in the glove and fills it. Now you see the glove, if I shake your hand, I can shake it with all the power of my hand. This glove, glove has no power. But all of a sudden it has power, has all the strength of my hand in it. See, I can make a snowball. I can do all kinds of things with it. You see, there's a, there's a huge difference in Scripture between being indwelt with the Holy Spirit and being filled with the Holy Spirit. And, and I, I think what, what we, we find as we read through our, our, our Bibles is that the, the, everyone who believes in Christ is indwelt with the Spirit, but then, then there are times without a doubt that people are filled with the Holy Spirit. And when they're filled with the Holy Spirit, they're given boldness you know, uh, what, what makes all the difference in evangelism in the book of Acts? It's not, I, I don't know of any evangelism training course. I think evangelism training courses are great. But that's not why evangelism happened in the book of Acts. Evangelism happened because people were filled with the Holy Spirit. How were they able to, to, to face persecution and, and feel joy in their heart? Because they were filled with the Holy Spirit. It's the filling of the Holy Spirit that gives them supernatural capacities they couldn't do otherwise, you see? Well, I, I think what, what we're learning is that, that the way this comes to us, my friends, is through a promise that Christ himself made. Christ is reliable, you know? One of the reasons I believe uh, so many things, you know, things about, um, about Jonah and Adam and all these other people... Uh, there's all kinds of questions about whether they were real people or not. I believe them because Jesus believed they were real. And believe, Jesus is reliable. If Jesus believes in these things, then I believe them. Jesus treated the Old Testament like it was inspired scripture. So I treat the Old Testament like it's inspired scripture. It's not the only reason. But that's the, one of the main reasons. And Jesus is the one that makes this promise to me about the Spirit. The Spirit-filled man. Uh, the, the very Son of God who functions as a spirit-filled man, he's the one making the promise to me. And he says, this is available to you because I've gone to the Father and whatever you ask, in my name I will give. It's obvious what he's talking about asking for in in the context. So, it's a matter of just believing what Jesus said and asking him For the ministry of the Spirit. Uh, I believe very strongly in the the importance of promises of God. Uh, It's very clear in Scripture that that God will give us whatever we ask according to His will. If we ask according to His will, we we receive. Uh, How do we know His will? Well, there's commands in the Scripture, there's there's narratives in the Scripture that express His will, there's principles. And then one of the great things that expresses the will of God to us is the promises. And there are so many wonderful, great, and precious promises that we, can, we receive by faith. How did you receive the promise of salvation? That's how every one of you who, who are a believer in Christ, you became a, a believer through a promise. How did, you get, how did you get in on that promise? It was all done for you. There was something promised to you. How did you get in on it? You believed. You received it by faith. You trusted that it was true. You received it. Well, that's, that's the way all the promises work. It's not only the way we get into the kingdom, it's the way we live in the kingdom. It's not only the way we get into the castle, it's the way we live in the castle. So what I'd like us to do in the remainder, maybe the last 10, 15 minutes together, is, is I'd like us to just pray in little groups of two, three. If you feel more comfortable just praying by yourself, that's fine. Uh, but let's make little huddles and let's... Use these verses. I've given you several verses one, two, three, four, five, six, seven wonderful, wonderful promises that God has given us about His desire to give the Spirit. He did not withhold His own Son from us. How much more, also, then, along with Him, will He give us all things, it says? If God is for us, who can be against us? He's for us. He put the the curse on his son so that we could have the blessing of the Spirit, it says in Galatians 3. God God wants this for his people. We're not trying to talk God into something. We're not saying that God's God's not a reluctant God, that we've got to somehow beg him long enough and make him want what we want, but what ultimately he doesn't really want. He only wants this for a few people. No, that's just not what the scripture says but we have to use the means that he's ordained. He's given the promise, but it's a conditional promise. It's based on prayer and faith. So let's, let's uh, spend some time going over those verses, and we'll just finish up with that. And then at the very end, I will just offer a prayer for all of us, okay? Let me just close up and and pray for for all of us, okay? Father, we believe your word. We're reluctant to believe it. As much as we are afraid sometimes to admit this, um, we, we often evaluate your word by our experience we're more experience-driven than, than we dare to admit. And I pray you'll forgive us for that, that we will try to bring our experience into line with what your word says and to trust you. And I pray that you will answer our prayers, that you will fill us with the Holy Spirit. I pray that this This group who have prayed will be affected in the way that they're in. When they're in the next couple of sessions, Lord, I pray that you will speak powerfully to them through the Spirit. Uh, That it's the Word, it's the fire on those logs of the Word that causes the heat and light. And may they experience the power of the Word in a whole new way and see Christ in a whole new way Um, because the Spirit delights to magnify Christ. This is his great and glorious ministry. So I pray that Christ would be made much of in our lives and that we would start to experience some of that power that that Jesus promised to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for coming, everyone.